Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Modern Day Wizards. I'm Callan, and today I'm joined once again by David Greenberg of freedomvibe.art. He's been on the show before. We had a really good conversation, and I'm looking forward to this one as well. Thanks for coming on, David. Awesome, Callan. Thanks for having me back again. Sure. So we were thinking of talking about hostility to truth. Basically, people like us who have gone through an awakening process of you know, realizing what's really going on in the world, how the universe really works in terms of morality and natural law and all those types of things that we get, I don't know if excited is the right word, but we want to share this with as many people as possible. And I remember when I was really naive and I started realizing this stuff, for me, it was specifically about health. That's when I started to wake up was I was learning about health and learning about all these things which are not true about the medical industry and all this type of stuff. And I'm just like, and I was seeing all these positive effects in my life as a result of that. And I'm like, oh, I just can't wait to tell people. People are going to be so happy to hear about these things, right? Because they're going to be able to change their life and they're going to know what the truth is and they're going to think that's important. But in my experience, whenever when I started doing that, it was basically the opposite. And it's not that they weren't interested is that they're actively, like, hostile is the right word. Like, they were angry that I was even saying these things. The fact that I was challenging their beliefs about the world was unacceptable. And, they, I mean, it was it was harsh enough, even with things like health, you know, vaccines, uh, to, you know, family members to not, or, and even, like, best friends to not want to talk to me anymore. So uh, I assume you've had similar experiences. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. In fact, about 12 years ago, I also started waking up specifically to the vaccine agenda, which I had already been suspicious about for many years. But, it, you know, my eyes were open to a lot of things specifically. Um, and I was very uh, crude in my approach. I just assumed that if I shouted the truth loudly and proudly, that people would just wake up almost instantly. It was a very naive mindset. And I've, uh, I've called this topic, just to refine the title a little bit, I've called it Speaking Truth to a Hostile Audience. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm thinking about our conversation here, that audience could be an audience of one, you know, which is the one-on-one -on -one conversation, or it could be a small group of people, or it could be towards the whole world, what we do when we create, for example, videos that we attempt to publish to a very large audience. So, you know, the audience size is going to vary. And as we're going to see, maybe as we unpack this, the way which we approach each conversation is going to vary a lot, sometimes nuanced, sometimes very significantly, depending on who the audience is. But I think my underlying intention was we need to learn if we really want to change things, you know, we do have to respect the fact that everybody has free will and people aren't going to automatically agree with us. Um, but we also need to be, if we really want to make changes in the world and we want to start helping people to wake up to, you know, the truth or the greater truth as we understand it and not fall for deceptions, then we do need to be willing to speak the truth even in front of a hostile audience, you know, yeah. largely hostile, slightly hostile, whatever, you know, to whatever degree that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how I got into making videos. I mean, basically everyone that I talked to in person was hostile. And I think there's probably value to continue continuing to speak truth in that situation, too. But it doesn't it doesn't have the same likelihood of having a positive effect if, you know, as if you were speaking to people who are maybe actually open to what you're saying. And so for me, I'm just like, well, no one I know is open to what I'm saying. And uh, really the only option I have to speak to people who might actually hear what I'm saying and might actually be willing to change their minds is to just make videos and throw them out there. And, you know, you know, I didn't really have an audience or anything like that. And I just kind of saw the perspective of, okay, I'll make it available. I'll do my, my job. My job is to speak the truth and, you know, try and get it out there as much as I can. But, also, I saw it as kind of relying on the universe to place it in front of the people who were ready to hear it. A hundred percent. And I'm sure you, you probably realize this too, is like we were saying in the pre-show, that 
although we understand, although we know and understand that there is an objective reality, we can each only understand it to a certain degree. So we don't want to fall into the trap of hubris or arrogance and thinking that somehow we have all the answers that we're even right about everything. It's just, we're, we're trying to approximate ourselves to the, tr to the greater truth and the greater reality. And then when we see a dissonance between the way things are presented in the world versus how we understand they actually are, then we find we have a moral imperative to, to voice that difference, to point out that there's a misalignment between, you know, the, the, what is actually is and the way people are interacting with it. And, and I think that's what I mean by, you know, speaking truth to a hostile audience, because some people, depending on their programming, are, are going to be, you know, to varying degrees, deeply asleep. And some people are going to be spewing out information, you know, spewing out uh, statements and information as though they know it, but they're really just repeating what they've been programmed to think. And others are going to be more thoughtful, more philosophical. Like I think, you know, you and I and others like us, we're at least trying to be more of the philosopher and not just in and know that we could be wrong. Know, know that there's an, there are truths, but know that we could also be wrong and we're just doing the best we can to figure it out. Yeah. And, and even in a way you can, you could see it as this openness in yourself, a commitment to the truth, which also means a commitment to be willing to change your mind. If you come yep. across evidence which even if it even if it's deeply disturbing or or requires you to you know basically rework the entire way that you think and even how you make a living in the world and uh that's that's a pretty serious commitment so i think that's i mean basically you can even within your own self you can be hostile to truth certain truths even people who are committed to truth can still be hostile to certain truths because they're secretly subconsciously aware of what it means if they were to accept them. Correct. And it means that they may have, you know, in many cases we'll have to admit that we were wrong, you know, maybe even completely wrong, maybe even for a large part of our lives. So it can be very humbling. Um, it can be, it can lead to, you know, a, a, certainly a level of depression and then, uh, but but ultimately it's worth it and and part of the process of cleansing and shadow work is to is to not shy away from confronting the truth so you're absolutely right there's an internal confrontation and then there's the external confrontation and I think both are important it, you know doing the internal confrontation is basically just committing to doing what what many people call shadow work like the true shadow work just doing it on a consistent basis keep coming back to examining one's own behaviors, keep coming back to figure out, you know, why, for example, one is falling to, into addictions or repeating certain patterns and, and not being willing to just give yourself a pass on those things. So that might be the internal uh, confrontation, you know, even towards your, your own ego's hostility. And then the external is uh, either one-on-one, -on -one, and I can, if you're will, if you like, I can share some examples of recent interactions, uh, the one-on-one, -on -one, and then of course the group, which is kind of what you and I are doing, which is the you know the video content, and uh, even try to get, even try to get uh, like the extreme would be trying to even get on a mainstream podcast or a mainstream you know news show as a as a truth seeker and as a um, as a teacher of natural law, just imagine in, in an extremely hostile environment, but be willing to go there, even if they absolutely crush you, because it's a real test of how willing you are to, to speak the truth and to face your opponent and not shy away from it and have that courage to actually do that. And I, a real fire was lit under my ass. Are you familiar with Maria West's work, Kellen? Mm -hmm. Okay. She's another member of the greater community of the one great work network, I guess you could say, or the, you know, a, a, another truth seeker who's been doing her work for many years. And I came across her work in another podcast called the Liebercast that I was actually on a few times. Oh, I was and, on that and, thing. Well, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Keep going. Yep. 
So that's Fred up in in Quebec, and uh, he does the Libre cast. And she really lit a fire under my ass because I felt like she was speaking directly to me. And this is the conversation working in reverse, where she was like, what the hell are you doing? Why do you keep speaking, making content in an echo chamber? You need to get out and speak to people that are willing to say, fuck you, right to your face, and willing to walk out on your talk in person. Like they almost, almost, you almost feel like they're going to try to punch you in the face. That's how hostile they are. You know, she said, yeah. if you're not willing to do, to face that kind of situation, then, you know, what the hell are you doing? You're not really doing it. That's how far behind we are in, you know, that's how much our voices are being drowned out by the voices of lies and deception that we need to be willing to really go to confrontation and really speak in front of a hostile audience, you know, like I said, audience that's willing to walk out on you, uh, you know, someone that's willing to really challenge you and not be afraid of that. And I, I really took that personally because I realized that even though I've been creating a lot of content and I'm very proud, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm doing the work I'm doing and I plan to continue to do it. Um, I said, yeah, I mean, to some degree, I'm, I've been seeking safety. You know, I've been sharing my, my voice and, and not really, and, and, you know, looking for accolades instead of looking for confrontation. And so that really, uh, that really, something really shifted in me when I heard her conversation on, on that podcast. Mm -hmm. For, for me, like, I, I see that as, for me, my initial reaction is that it's a little bit extreme to, to go as far to say that it's super necessary that you're, you're doing that all the time. Uh, I, I was, because in my experience, again, that it sabotages relationships, right? Like I, I don't, I don't talk to my family. I don't speak to any of my other, you know, my close friends. And I don't feel like I was especially uncivil about the way I was presenting it. It was just that the fact I was saying things that they couldn't handle. And so if I'm going to go around doing that, anytime I hear anyone say something, which I don't agree with, you know, like someone may be in the middle of a conversation, like someone was, I was at a, a nature class and someone was talking about gardening, all this type of stuff. And then they said, oh, and so we can do carbon sequestration so that, you know, we don't have to worry about global warming. And it's just like, you know, I could, I could branch off this, what's going on right now and be like, well, actually, you know, CO2 has nothing to do, you know, with CO2 is a good thing. It has nothing to do. It's not man-made climate change. Like, and, and it's just like, it's not really helpful in this situation to do that, you know? Sure. And maybe I can relate a couple of recent interactions to clarify, because I feel like I agree that with one-on-one -on -one conversations, I wouldn't necessarily be as confrontational uh, versus if I was doing either a live presentation or a formal presentation, or even a, a video like the videos I do, I would probably be willing to unleash much more authenticity in those other formats. Uh, when I, especially when I'm presenting, you know, I have a formal presentation already ready and I'm basically going to walk through some specific information that I'm going to share versus just kind of off the cuff. But, um, if you want, Callan, I can kind of go back and share, you know, kind of what we started talking about in the pre-show, some of these recent interactions that I had, if that's helpful. Sure. Okay. So one, uh, just to kind of recap, one interaction I had, um, so I work in a hostel, and so we get a lot of people coming from all over the world. And a recent traveler came. She was a young young woman, maybe in her early to mid-20s from, from Paris, France, Um and uh, we were having a nice conversation and she just kind of dropped a bomb on me and said, oh, by the way, I work for the, you know, some organization within the World Bank. And, uh, you know, we work on, you know, our objective is to help bring energy, you know, help provide energy to parts of the world where they normally can't afford it and so on and so forth. And so I'm thinking in my head, oh, wow, I get to chat with the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> like in my own mentation, I'm thinking, oh, great. This is someone who's literally plugged into the system that I'm trying to wake people up to. Um, and probably a previous version of me would have, you know, jumped down her throat as, as we were suggesting. And I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not going to take that approach because I don't think it's going to be helpful in this case. But I do want to see what I can do to kind of open, uh, help her evolve her consciousness. So the word conversation com comes from the Latin to change together 
So I said, what can I do to help us change together here? So I asked her, I said, I said, great. So you're, so just to help understand here, you, you know, one of your goals is to help it bring energy to parts of the world where people normally either can't afford it or they don't have it, you know, they don't have the infrastructure and so forth. She said, yes. And she shared a little bit about that. I said, great. Okay. I, I actually agree with you on that. I think energy, having access to energy is very important because that's the way we can create things. That's, that's how we're able to tap into creativity. And um, that's how we're able to uh, even evolve as human beings. So let me ask you a question. And this just kind of came to me. I said, perhaps you are familiar with the work of Nikola Tesla, who in his time was working very hard to do just that. And not surprisingly, or you thought, you know, you thought it was surprising, Callan, but not surprising to me. She said, no, I actually haven't heard of him. And, you know, I thought she was being genuine. Again, you could never be sure, but um, I thought she was being genuine in her response um, that she had literally never heard of, uh, you know, Nikola Tesla. Maybe she was lying. Who knows? But um, I said, great. I said, well, I would therefore strongly encourage you, given your interest, to really look into his work because he was a pioneer in someone who wanted to bring free and abundant and unlimited energy to everybody on planet Earth. So that strongly aligns with your goals. You may want to check out his work and just see what, you know, what you can discover from that. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So you're basically kind of taking a strategic or a tactful approach of, okay, maybe this person isn't going to be receptive if I start just telling her, you know, what she works for and how it affects the world and, you know, why it plays such a major role in all the horrible things that are going on right now. Instead, you're like, well, I recognize she has this interest and there's a topic which she's not aware of. And if she were to actually look into it and this would be something that she would be genuinely interested hopefully in looking into and just by actually looking into that she would discover that yes we we had the ability to give free energy to everyone across the world and that's what tesla was working on and nearly completed and so she would come to that realization and then if she continued to investigate she would find out why why that didn't happen and it was basically due to people who are involved with organizations or relate or similar to or related to organizations like the World Bank, which they didn't want the world to go in that direction because it would cause them to lose the power that they have. Exactly, Callan. And if she was being even if she was being intellectually or if she was being honest with me and ultimately with herself, that she would actually look into that. That just like you said, that may open the door to many things that that it would have been very hard for me to relate to her, you know, with, certainly with a limited time, but maybe even just because I wasn't, I myself wouldn't necessarily be able to uh, express all of them. Maybe not even because I haven't even fully deeply researched these topics either. I wouldn't even be able to unpack for her the the deeper structure of the World Bank, for example, and how it relates to everything. Because I myself haven't done deep dive research into that. So it would be pointless, even though I both intuitively and also from, from the knowledge I've gained, understand where the World Bank sits in the scheme of things. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's not going to be productive from a conversational level. If my goal is to help evolve, help her change her mind, her own mind, then that wouldn't have been the best approach. So tactically and maybe even strategically, it was just, I just felt it was much better to just give her one valuable piece of information and then allow her to pursue it on her own. Yeah. And if basically, if she's not someone who's open to these truths, then if you had spent all the effort trying to explain all of it to her, it would have basically been guaranteed to fail from the beginning. And this strategy at least is like, okay, well, if she's actually open-minded to it, then she'll go and she'll look into these things and she'll figure it out herself. Yep. And she was a young person and I could tell she didn't seem very like she had a very calcified ego about things. So I I thought at least, you know, this approach had a good chance. You know, one can never there's no 100 percent on anything, but I just felt it was the right approach. And um, but I had another recent interaction that I'll just relate quickly 
with a fellow named Mark. And this was a very different scenario. He was someone that's older than me. So when he's, he's in his early sixties, he's, he, um, had worked as a, a caterer slash, uh, private chef for celebrities in, in, I think in the music industry, um, not necessarily the, you know, but more of the old school new music industry of New York city, uh, and Broadway, not necessarily the one that people necessarily think of like Madonna and all these mainstream artists, but, um, and, um, during the interactions with him and he was there for several days in the hostel, I could tell that he was someone that number one, he was very set in his ways. Um, he had kind of a very, he almost spoke with like a monotone. He literally sounded like a drone. Like he was just spewing out information that he heard. And, you know, even when I tried to bring up certain topics, he, he seemed to have an answer for everything. So at one point I realized that just being polite with him was, we weren't going to get anywhere. I didn't necessarily want to be super aggressive, but I wanted to up the ante a bit. So what I started to do was I just started interrupting him when he would just go off on a tear about this, that, and the other, and historically, and blah, blah, blah. I would say, so why do you think that is, Mark? You know, what do you think is the real reason why that that is? For, you know, when he would talk about how, you know, he would even talk about the Jesuits and this and that, and the other. So he, he was using all the right buzzwords, but he was just spewing out, you know, almost what seemed like a a, a controlled narrative about everything. So, and, and he never seemed to have any emotional affect, like he even really cared. So I would just keep going back and saying, so why do you think that is? So what, what do you think is the root causal factor of that? You know, what, you know, have you thought that through at all? And, and then I would just sometimes interrupt him and say, you know, Mark, I, I just got to be honest with you. I've, I've already thought about, you know, the prison that we're in extensively and I'm just not into describing the prison in excruciating detail anymore. I'm, I'm more about finding the key. You know, is that something that interests you or, or are you just happy to describe the prison? You know, so I definitely got more confrontational with him and, uh -huh. you know, he would pause sometimes, you know, he was, ne he never got super angry, but he was just so deeply, deeply programmed that, uh, I had to keep doing this over and over again. And I, I doubt I, I really made much of a dent. Um, but I'll, I'll be damned if I was just going to sit there and just listen to him dr drone on and on and uh, on spewing out this stuff without at least trying to make a shift in his consciousness or help him make a shift. Did he yeah. did he change at all when you when you confronted him in that way, or did he maintain his droneness? Well, he did pause. You know, it did cause him to at least stop talking for at least a couple of seconds, <laughs> and and it it seemed like he was actually listening to me. So I thought that was hopeful. But he, you know, at some point he would just keep going back. So I don't I don't really know. Um, I, I think in the end I it probably didn't make much of a difference. He seemed very set in his ways. Um, even when we talked about health and I was sharing with him how I was able to, you know, heal certain um, addictions that I had and even heal certain inflammation, chronic inflammations through changes in my, in the way I eat and so forth. And just kind of sharing that he, he just, he, even there, he would start spewing out, you know, what seemed like mainstream thoughts on these things. And I kept trying to say, you know, well, have you, actually thought to look into it a little bit you know maybe you know here's some resources that you can go look into um maybe before expressing an opinion you can actually go and look those up and then even try doing an experiment do you try for seven days and see what happens so but I'm, I'm not sure i made much of a difference in this case you know but so that wouldn't gonna, stop me from at least making an effort let's let's say you were talking to someone and you knew for sure there was no chance that they were going to change their mind and they, you don't have an audience. So no one's going to no one's, you know, there's not going to be any third parties who are going to be, have their mind changed by what's going on here. Do you still think it's worthwhile to challenge the falsehoods that they're, that they're saying? Well, yes. If for no other reason that I don't really know if they cannot evolve, it just may be incredibly difficult, but I don't actually know if they are like literally, a programmed being that has no soul, no consciousness versus someone that just has a very calcified ego and that there is a possibility, although it may be very remote. Um, it's the same way I feel about the, the human condition as a whole. You know, we're definitely behind the curve as far as making a difference. And, you know, our opponent is, 
winning in a spectacular way. Um, but I still feel a duty to do something. So when, when I'm approaching someone individually, I don't, I never take that approach as that it's impossible. I just recognize to a realistic extent that, you know, what I'm actually dealing with and I make, you know, make an effort to face that situation. Like, just like with the example of Mark, you know, I keep changing my tactics. I keep trying something different to see if there actually is a way. And I keep perhaps upping the ante a bit while not going ballistic on that person. I keep pushing the envelope, you know, until at some point I may stop, you know, just because it, 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 I'm not getting any results. So it's like, okay, at least I made an effort. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so basically we don't really know what this person thinks currently, how open they are to these ideas, even if they seem totally closed off to what we're saying right now, like yeah. they could go through, you know, several decades of, you know, that with, you know, sprinkled within were just moments where like reflections or echoes of what you had said earlier, you know, years ago, and that string of things happening to them and your first introduction, or maybe you were just one of the subsequent conversations they had, but it played a vital role in them eventually being willing to open up their mind to what is actually true. I think so. And I think, I, I think about myself as a, an example, when I was much younger, I was, very, very calcified in my ego and very egotistical and arrogant. And I had a lot of hubris myself. So, and I was able to get, snap out of that. Granted, it took many years and a lot of suffering, including a lot of physical suffering and losses, financial losses and many other scenarios for me to get the wake up call. But I was still able to start to take myself out of that and really evolve my consciousness to a degree that if I had met my present self as my past self, it would be literally like two different people. So if I, I know that if I could do it, you know, in some way, then I want to give each and every person the benefit of the doubt. And I don't, I don't tend to think of like this NPC scenario, like the non-player character. I don't really yeah. think of it that way. Even if it's true, like let's say it's true. I don't really face it that way. I just look at each person and say, there has to be a way to get through to them. I may not be able to figure it out, but I'm going to at least, I'm going to fulfill my duty to at least make some effort and not just, you know, bow out of it. Yeah. And for me, it's similar, you know, my, the way that I used to be similar, I, I used to be what, you know, I would call a skeptic. And I made a video about that recently, but basically yep. I, I was, I was one of the people that people nowadays would call an NPC. And so just the fact yep. that, I see that I was once what people call an NPC and now I am not means that people probably aren't actually NPCs, you know, in, in, in the way that people think, you know, they, they, people, I think take that to the extreme. They actually think that there's no one in there, but I I don't think that, I don't actually think that's true. Yeah. I think, you know, there may, in the greater reality, again, we're always trying to approximate our understanding of the truth. There may literally be some or even many, actual, you know, empty vessels there, they, they may actually exist, but the way I look at it is, you know, the, in the world we live in, if we want to really affect change, if we really want to evolve consciousness, then it's important that we treat each and every human being, each and every person that we meet with the same uh, respect that we treat ourselves and the same intentionality that if we really want to improve things in the world, that we have to at least make the best effort we can. And we just don't have all the information. There's just no way to look inside their, you know, to be inside their consciousness because we're not them. Um, so I'd rather just err on the side of, I'm going to make the best effort I can. And yes, mm-hmm. we try different things. And yes, you know, we may not, you know, it may take them a decade after we speak to them for them to truly wake up, you know, but at least we're going to do the best we can in each conversation. Mm-hmm. So, do you, I mean, basically you, you were talking about the person who was on that, was it Mario on the Libercast podcast was saying basically. Mario, Mario West. Yep. Mario, yep. okay. You should be confrontational. Um, and I would say in the two examples that you gave, you were not confrontational. You were very tactful. Do you think that is every, ever appropriate to actually be really confrontational to the point of, you know, saying things like, you're just dumb. <laughs> well, I had a local, yeah, I had a local um, 
guy, you know, someone here in El Salvador, he started going on about he, how he didn't have any other options, so he was going to enlist in the army. And I just straight up said to him, that's a really dumb idea, and here's why. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, just, I didn't even waste any time. I just said, that's a really dumb idea. And I just said, I, I was a bit confrontational with him. I said, I just went and started asking very direct questions. Do you have a right to, um, to use violence against other people to get them to, to follow your will? You know, would you have the right to do that? And he was like, no. He talked about self-defense and he was confusing the two. So I explained to him, I said, I'm, I'm not talking about the situation where someone's attacking you and you need to defend yourself. I'm specifically talking about where someone's going along their way and you want to get them to do something else. So you use either a gun or some other type of violence or even the threat of violence. Do you have a right to do that? He was like, no. Okay, great. So what, what do you think gives the right of uh, the mil- people in the military to do the same thing if you don't even have that right? So I was more confrontational with him, but you know, we didn't end up in a fist fight. It was just I had to take a more of an aggressive approach with him in that particular case. So I'm not afraid to be confrontational if someone says something outrageous or what I consider like grossly immoral or they just seem to not get it at all um, in any case. It's just, you know, I think when I was talking about what I understood from Maria, and I'm not trying to, you know, shy away from being confrontational one-on-one, but she was really talking about, you know, in the, in the content and in the presentations that we make and getting out there and speaking the truth to a larger audience that we tend to sometimes speak within an echo chamber and we have a following and there's nothing wrong with a following. Get, you know, don't get me wrong. It's great to have a following. It's great to have supporters. Um, but we tend to f- fall back and feel comfortable, get into that comfort zone because we have a following. Maybe we have even several thousand people following us and they're going to tend to agree with us that we're not willing to push the envelope and be even offensive, uh, you know, to the point of pushing certain people away. Um, and like, you know, the example she gave was, people literally saying fuck you and walking out of her in-person presentation. I was like, yes, you know, sometimes, sometimes we need to be willing to do that. Mm. Right. You know, not every time even, you know, I'm not trying to be an extremist here. I'm not saying it has to be all the time, but we have to at least be willing to go there. And uh, we we're trying to speak to a larger audience anyway. So it makes sense talking about presentations and, and even public speaking that was my understanding of what she was saying, not speaking to an echo chamber and there, uh, not necessarily all, only talking about the one-on-ones conversation. So I think, you know, not to split hairs here, but I think there is, to some degree, there is a distinction. Yeah, and I think, I think like with the example that you gave, like in cases where someone is saying something which, you know, general society wouldn't think much of him saying, okay, I'm going to join the military. Everyone would just be kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's something people do. No problem with that. But, but really, actually, it is a truly horrible thing, right? You're basically yeah. si- signing up to go and coerce and injure or murder people simply because someone told you to, you know, they, it has nothing to do with you. They weren't assaulting you. You don't even know the reasons but you're just saying, hey, I'm willing to hurt people if I'm told to and if I'm paid to. So it's, it's in that situation, being confrontational is completely warranted. Yeah, and he was, he was a young guy and I could tell he was actually, you know, he, I had gained, I had earned his respect to some degree just from us working together because we had worked together a bit. So, it, you know, but I could tell he was also surprised when I kind of became confrontational about it and and ask these questions. And I could tell he was really pausing to think about it um, and list actually making an effort to listen. And I was also being confrontational, but not speaking so fast and just throwing terms at him and concepts and ideas to the point where he couldn't even catch his breath to understand what I was saying. I would just ask him a question and then pause and give him a chance to actually think about it. You know, even though it was a confrontational question, I would still stop and say, Hey, you know, do you have a right to do this? And I would just shut up and let him respond instead of just keep going on and on. Yeah. Asking the right questions is really a great way to go about it. I've found like telling someone the way it is automatically puts them on defense. It's like, you know, people don't want to be spoken to that way, but it's hard to take offense when someone just kind of asks you a question. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the finesse side of it. And I think, 
you know, that's the art artistic side of it, as it were, is that we, you know, we want to say the truth in many different ways. And one of the things I like about your videos, Callan, is, you know, you're speaking deep truths in some of your video, in all your videos, and some of them you're much even more direct. But even then, you know, you're not necessarily being as hard, you know, harsh and aggressive. Uh, you're being very direct and you're being very pointed and you're just, you're speaking direct truths, but in your own unique voice, with your own unique voice in your own unique way. And that's what I'm trying to do. So being confrontational doesn't even necessarily mean swearing a lot and, and huffing and puffing and, you know, just being over overbearing. It doesn't necessarily mean that for some people it does. Some people want to be so offensive that people are literally going to walk out of the room. And I think there is some merit to, to aspiring to that, you know, at least some of the time, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do that all the time. Right. And, and I do, I do think it is sometimes worthwhile to, to use the harsh strategy. Like I'd say Mark Passio is an example of someone who most people would say really goes overboard with the harshness. And, and I would say it is overboard for most people, but for me, it was appropriate. It's what I need. I agree. Yeah. I never felt, I, I, I always felt like, you know, he was often very harsh, but I never turned off his presentation or podcast when he would become most angry or, you know, most confrontational. In fact, many times I took it very much to heart. And that was a, you know, he was someone who probably more than almost anyone else really lit a fire under my ass to actually get off my ass and actually start to, you know, number one, figure out, you know, do the internal work. And number two, start to speak truth and not just, you know, talk about bullshit or, uh, you know, feel good stuff or ego driven stuff, but actually get out and become another voice of the truth. So I agree. I think it's highly appropriate. I've never once felt like it was inappropriate, but yeah, some people will and that's appropriate. And he knows that because he, he, he's the, be the first person to say, I'm not trying to speak to everyone. I'm trying to speak to the people who are awake enough to know that something is seriously wrong in the world, but they're just not act. They're not fully activated. Yep. So We've been talking about how people can be hostile to truth and ways to speak to them to maybe make them more receptive. And maybe even sometimes it's appropriate to be harsh. That's the way to access certain people's receptiveness like you and me. Uh, But why, what are some of the reasons you think that people are hostile to the truth? Because it seems like people would want to know the truth. Well, I think uh, that's a really great question. I think, um, maybe through the principle of correspondence, you know, what is going on within the inner world, within their inner world, they're, they're not being honest with themselves about one or more aspects of them, of their own selves. As I wasn't again, knowing from my own case that that was largely a degree, I was being dishonest, you know, with myself about many things. And when we're, when we're capable of continuing to lie to ourselves about even our own behaviors or things that we're not willing to face, then it's natural and extension to that, that that truth, which will keep presenting itself in different forms and different ways through different language, will keep coming, will keep bumping into it. Will in order to keep that lie going, in order to not face those things, we will need to rebuff and 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 reject it. So that may be, I think that's one part of it. I think another is that programming, you know, because we are as it has been discussed, and I agree, we are largely programmable by nature, meaning we can take on these beliefs and programs and they can become very entrenched even, then uh, it literally is like causing a, a, a glitch in our own programming. It's like, it's almost like trying to throw a cog, you know, trying to throw a cog, what's the expression, you know, throw a, a wrench uh, into the wrench works. In the- yeah. uh, and it's, Trying to, it's it's almost like it's causing a, our own programming that is normally humming along and not skipping a beat to malfunction, and that's uncomfortable, you know, certainly at the least. So I think people, and I think people literally have been programmed with these defense mechanisms and these fail safes, where it's almost like they know what to say. It's you know, you think of things like the conspiracy theory, you know, these even these terms that get embedded. People literally, those are like viruses that have been embedded in our consciousness that will get triggered. So we literally get triggered by all this stuff. And if we were willing to even reflect on it a bit, 
we probably wouldn't have that kind of reaction. But because we have all this, you know, maybe 80 or 90 percent automated thinking, then uh, it's much easier for those programs to activate and for us to kind of put our hands up or cover our ears and not want to deal with it. It's just it's it's the easy way out. It's it's not it's the way that requires less will, less courage. It's just it's less effort. It's the lazy way out. Okay, that makes sense. So there's there's the lazy reason. Do you think there's any other reasons? Well, I mean, there is a very large continuum, and I think there are certainly people who 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 active are deeply religiously programmed or actively believe that they're doing the right thing by stopping that evolution of consciousness. You know, we can call them dark occultists. We can call them, you know, the opponent, the people who are actually actively working to suppress knowledge and you know they may have their own reasons for doing that um and they just you know they may be so deeply convinced that they are doing the right thing you know from their perspective that they're just they have zero zero interest in in even entertaining the alternative mm-hmm. uh, but so i would even know. argue sorry go ahead go ahead I, I would even argue maybe on a very deep level as as has been suggested that that you know they may have a deep level of self-hatred themselves and may not be, you know, they may not have at the deepest level of their consciousness, they may, there may be a very big darkness, but I don't know. That's just a surmising on my part. So in my experience, truth could be pretty traumatizing and uh, really upsetting. And, you know, it is even possible that the truth that, which maybe we haven't even discovered yet is that, you know, things are really, really bad, like beyond, beyond repair. And so someone who like may be aware of that possibility and starts to hear truths, which are starting to go in that direction may even consciously and maybe even out in the open to you be like, well, I just, if that's the truth, I don't want to know it. Right. Because I'd rather live in a delusion rather than know what the truth is. So how would you, how would you address that to the person and convince them that knowing the truth is important, even if it's going to be, hard to face Oof, that's uh that's a really good question i don't think anybody's ever openly said something like that to me but man i i would have to i guess i'd have to think about how i would approach that i would probably try to ask you know ascertain and ask them questions about their situation and try to figure out you know where is there a potential misalignment because if there's a misalignment with truth, something need, something must be off. There must be an incongruity between their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, and their actions. Some Something must present itself. If they're completely unified in their thoughts, feelings, and actions, then it's going to be much harder to make an argument if, you know, if they're truly, you know, an agent of evil or chaos, as it were, who's, who's fully aligned in that, that may be one scenario. But if someone is not, if that's not really true, then there must be some uh, alignment, you know, but I'm not really sure, Callan. I think that's a really great question. I, I'm not sure how I would approach that. Do you, do you think it is always in someone's advantage to know the truth? I think so, yes. I think truth is, you know, because if we're talking about truth versus lies and deception, then yes, ultimately the truth is always liberating. I, I do I do think that's the case. It's just like you said, if we have not aligned with it, then the trauma, I think the trauma is from having been interacting in out of alignment with the truth, having bought into lies and stuff. And it's the disengaging with that. It's having to uncouple that. Like literally you've built a life, you know, a life scenario or, or an identity around something that is not true. It's, of course, it's going to be traumatic to let that go. And you're going to have, you know, you may, you may lose things. You may lose relationships. You may lose money, uh, resources, friendships. Uh, you know, you may, it, but the truth is liberating. For example, when I realized, when I started to realize that I was, you know, my behaviors or my misalignment was the root causal, a root causal factor to my health issues, for example, although it was traumatic and painful for me to look back at my whole life and say, holy shit, I've literally been harming myself my whole life. And I'll be talking about that a little bit on an upcoming video. It was still much better to know that truth because now from this moment forth, 
I can now work in alignment. And what I saw was when I accepted that truth, although it was painful to the ego and, and to myself to really admit that to myself, my health has actually been improving faster than it has at any time in my life. And I've started to gain much more power and control over my own well-being than I've ever had in my entire life. So that, so yes, I think from when you look at it that way, the truth will always set you free once you, once you understand it and accept it, but there is going to be a painful disengagement, almost like the, you have to burn down the old version of you. And then the, you know, like the Phoenix rising or a rebirth, you know, birth is painful, but it's still worth it because you're something greater is being born. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't solve a problem if you're not willing to even accept that it exists. And, you know, I had the same exact experience with health and, and, you know, all, all these other things. And uh, my whole life was destroyed. You know, I had a really nice career and a really nice area, a nice family, a nice girlfriend. We we're going to get married and have kids. And basically as I was waking up to truth, I found I had to give up all of those things. And it was many yep. years of, difficulty and you know it's still difficult to a certain degree but where i am now is i mean it, it's not even comparable like there's no way i would ever choose to go back to where i was yep i think the truth itself is its own reward and but we don't we don't even embrace it to be rewarded see that's what makes it so challenging um the gentleman the greek gentleman who you recently boosted his content i can't remember his name but he was talking about that on a recent video and um, you know, we don't do things for a reward, but the truth is, you know, knowing the truth and living in harmony with truth is its own reward. Right. And that, yeah. and, and I feel that way oftentimes when I'm doing my work, even pushing through the difficulties, even dealing with the, you know, temporary, often temporary challenges. And, you know, you're absolutely right. I didn't necessarily have as many things that I had to shed as you did. And it certainly, you know, a testimony, you know, a testament to your commitment to the truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, I have to get a little water here. Callan, okay. I'm just going to grab a little bit of water. Keep going. <laughs> well, I'll just wait for you. Yeah, I just realized my throat got a little dry there. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, if I could just say it's a testament, you know, to your own, it's a testament to your own evolution. And what you've done that you were able to give up all those things in the physical reality. Um, you, you, you're not a stoic. I mean, you probably felt the pain of having to give all that up, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you, at some point, your consciousness evolved to the point where you said, yep, I have, you know, the truth, you know, embracing the truth and being in harmony with it. And then ultimately speaking it and helping share this is more important is closer to the to the ultimate truth than clinging to whatever I previously had, no matter how important I thought it was, or no matter how comfortable it made me, you know, how much it stroked my ego or how attached I, I may have been to those things. So I think that's a real testament to the commitment on your part. And I think each of us, you know, in our own ways, each of us being unique, but certainly we're going to, everybody's going to have to sacrifice something in order to do that. Yeah. At least in this world, maybe someday we can get to a world where there's there's not really any sacrifice. It's really just pure benefit. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so we have talked. It could about be, or or go ahead. It could be, or maybe we will develop a different relationship with sacrifice, and we will just naturally always seek out and be able to more quickly identify things that aren't as important and, and discard them in the right moment. And we won't, you know, be as clingy to things to let them go because we'll realize they're all just experiences and they're, and we're just unlocking the, a greater experience, which even though it may not be forever and permanent, it, it will be worth it. And then maybe there'll be even, even greater experiences beyond that, beyond those. Yep. Yeah. And I actually, I find that, now that you know, I'm, I'm I, it, relationships are important for me. Um, and so, but when I a new person comes into my life and you know, we're kind of developing a friendship, I make a point to test them very early on by being very upfront. And if, if they say something which is incorrect, you know, 
if someone is, you know, trying to become close to me, like to become a, like a member of what I would consider my tribe or my family, then I feel more comfortable being confrontational because I want people to be confrontational to me about my false beliefs. And so, and I want my friends to be people who, if I am confrontational with them, that they're not going to respond in anger and, and run away, but instead the response is going to be, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that. You know, I, I need to think about that or let's, let's talk about this. And so basically that's, that's been my strategy. And to be honest, not many people pass the test. It's actually very rare that someone does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, that's a great strategy. It's important to be um, super strict on that. And I think um, you probably do this as well. I, I tend to judge people much more. I tend to judge people almost exclusively based on their actions. I don't really pay a lot of attention to what people say anymore. I, I pay attention to it. Of course, it's not like I don't pay zero attention to it, but what I'm really looking at is their actions. And mm -hmm. if, if they act dishonestly or in a shifty way or a shady way, sometimes even a little bit, uh, or they seem to be leaning in that direction, then, you know, sure, I might, if appropriate, I might confront them about it, but I'm certainly not going to, like you said, I'm not going to invite them into my tribe, and I'm not going to trust them with important matters, right. which it's I think is what you're certain, saying as well. It's a certain type yeah. of relationship, right? It's like, okay, this person isn't, like, the type of person that I'm going to tell all my deepest secrets to but they might right. be someone that I do business with or, you know, something like that. Right. Or you may even decide not to do business with them, depending on how egregiously they you know, acted in, way, in a way that you considered inappropriate or even immoral or, you know, just inappropriate because it is a continuum. Sometimes people, sometimes there is a gray area, but if you, if it just doesn't, you know, if they don't seem to be, coming from a place of genuine alignment in their consciousness, you may just say, it's, you know, it's not worth the risk of even doing business with them, you know, or it may just be very transactional. It may be very rigidly controlled. Like, yes, we'll do business, but it's going to be very, you know, everything's going to be heavily documented. It's very transactional. It's not more, it's not really as much of a relationship. Mm -hmm. So we, we've covered a few of the ways, a few of the reasons why people are hostile to truth. The basically, Truth can be scary. Uh, truth requires change, requires work. And truth yep. often uh, leads to excommunication, which uh, maybe not so much in this society, but in you know more tribal societies, that, that could be a death sentence. So those are all, you know, I think, strong reasons. Another reason which I think may be more specific to people like you and me, and, you know, I find this definitely with myself, is this basically saving face, you know, not wanting to have said something publicly to an audience and then to have someone come and demonstrate how you're wrong. And then even though, even though like personally, I know that it's, it's the best thing to do and I will always make the effort to change my mind when, when I have been shown to be incorrect about something, but still there's a really strong, resistance to it you know what i mean absolutely i think that's just part of the ego self-preservation and you know there is a, a you know it's something that perhaps we can with some effort we can overcome it i think uh, i really like what you put in the front i think it's in the beginning of each of your videos where you say in the text you in the notice you say that you're probably wrong about at least one thing that you said um, so, so people need to do their own research. So in a way, it's not like you're excusing yourself from being wrong. It's just that you're, you're acknowledging the, the truth that we're not always going to get it right. You know, we're doing our best. We're not always going to get it right. And I, um, I look back at some of my older videos and some of my content, even some recent videos. And sometimes I flinch a little bit, like, I can't believe I said that or, <laughs> oh, wow, you, you know, that's, that's a little bit embarrassing or, you know, it could even just be you know, fudging the production or it could be something that I said that, you know, maybe afterwards I'm not even sure that I was correct about it. But I think um, part of the discipline is, you know, as the, again, as the philosopher, and this is kind of, I'm just kind of talking this through, um, 
we realize as philosophers, as seekers of the truth, that part of that journey is, you know, we're just, we're just a, a point of consciousness in the greater mind of everything that is. We're, we are not God. We're not everything. We're not the all. So we're not going to see it from everything. We're not going right. to see the totality of everything. We can't. It's just by definition, we're never going to do that. And, you know, there is a certain, the ego is designed to protect us, you know, from perceived threats. So it's going to be natural that we're going to not want to do that. But I think for the sake of, evolving consciousness for the sake of getting out of the mess that we find ourselves in. And, you know, it, it's going to take pushing that a bit and we have to be willing to be messy. You yeah. know, it's better to be messy than to not take any action at all. And uh, I actually have started to embrace it a little more like being, I would say, I'm not sure reckless is the right word, but, you know, being more on the cutting edge and being willing to be wrong and being willing to even be laughed at. Um, kind of like David talks a lot about in his own work, like where he's literally was ridiculed uh, by the mainstream and he just embraced that. And, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm at that level, but I want to be, I want to aspire to be more like that where I'm just, I'm willing to go, go big, even if it means that I could fail spectacularly, even temporarily because it's that important to just keep putting myself out there and, and, and speaking the voice of truth as I understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess for me with the, I, I'm just kind of speaking to what I, a tendency that I see with myself, this fear of being shown that I was wrong. I don't know. I guess I'd have to think about it more. What is it? What is it behind that? Since I, I do have the, I do know that it's good to change your mind and I, and I have changed my mind publicly many times and it was never uh, really a traumatic experience. It wasn't something that I feared it was going to be. So I guess I'm trying to understand why, why do I still have that fear if I have that understanding? Yeah, it might be some older traumas that need to be worked through because objectively you're, you know, the information that you share specifically um, is, is extremely valuable and you know from my perspective is much more resonant with with deeper truths than what a lot of people are sharing so you're you're on that you're on you're you're on it you're on the money but if there's something that's holding you back you know from what i've seen things that hold us back they generally are unresolved traumas or old programming that we we just need to work through and that's of course where the shadow work can be very helpful mm -hmm. and i, I want to say that you know i consider you to be someone who whose opinion that I respect. And I would say that most of the things that you say, I agree with. And I, I, sus I suspect you, you agree with many of the things that I say, but also you probably don't agree with anything with everything. And in the future, you may even hear me say something which you consider to be egregious. And I want to invite you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to challenge me and you can even do it publicly. Sure. 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 I think that's totally important. That's, that's totally respectful to do. Like, uh, I, I appreciate that, Callan. That's it. That's, and I will take you up on that. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think that's super important. That's why, for example, people will sometimes do a response video to certain topics, you know, where I say, I respectfully disagree. I know you disagreed with what Mark Passio said on his recent, uh, podcast regarding, uh, you know, running away as how it can be defined. And I think that was appropriate. You got to call people out. You know, we shouldn't just worship people. You know, we never want to get into a phrase, you know, to a state of mind where we're literally just only looking up to people who we highly respect because they can never be wrong. I mean, Mark, I don't even agree with Mark Passio, for example, about veganism. And I haven't really talked about that publicly, but I probably will start to share some thoughts about my thoughts on veganism versus carnism i i don't agree at all that it's a religion carnism i just completely disagree with that and i i'm just saying this for the first time publicly but i haven't made a, a formal presentation but i still highly highly respect uh mark passio as a man even though i can completely disagree with him and i would even you know elaborate on why i disagree on that and probably will so that is that is very important and i will definitely take you up on that i, I appreciate the fact that you mentioned that Cool. So yeah, veganism, that sounds like a pretty interesting topic. I also don't have, I don't agree. Well, actually, 
I think Mark basically says, you know, you shouldn't jump right into veganism. So my, my objection is it's ultimately not, it's, it's not in your best interest because it basically, you know, as above, so below. So if you're, if you're willing to have, you know, if you're willing to enslave animals and murder them so that you can survive, well, you're sort of giving permission for, you're giving permission for yourself to be enslaved and used for someone else's purposes, which you don't understand. And so for me, that's the, that's the reason, but you know, it's not, it's not just, it's wrong. It's well, there's other things to balance here. You know, if you can't, you can't survive, if you're going to get ill and die, if you aren't eating meat, then, you know, I mean, each person has to kind of decide what, what are they, what, what is the worst thing there, right? Is it, is it better to, yeah, open yourself up to some negative karma and continue to live and be healthy or, or, you know, just accept or just not, not be willing to have that karma and then, you know, suffer and perhaps expire as a result of it. So, yeah, I don't think, I definitely don't think it's black and white. I think that'd be a really interesting video. So I look forward to seeing that from you if you decide to do it. And also, you know, maybe we can even have a conversation about that in the future. Yeah, that would be awesome. I was going to say that sounds like an entire conversation right there, and I would love to do that. So I'll probably share some more about that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not something that's black or white. And, you know, to some degree, it's impossible to live without causing harm. That's that's ultimately, you know, some some level of harm to other beings is necessary. The way in which we are genetically create have evolved, have slash been created, exists. And so that's the fundamental. The question is, how can we optimize everything? How can we cause the least amount of harm both to ourselves, but also to the world in general? And that's really the challenge. So it'll be a great conversation when we get to it. Yeah, sounds good. So on the topic of speaking host- speaking truth to a hostile audience, I, for me, I feel like we pretty much covered all of the points that I was thinking of. Is there anything else you feel like we should cover on it? No, I would, I would say, I think we have as well. I would just, you know, say that one of the things that I've started doing, and maybe this is something that you and others can consider is I've literally started to, first of all, I've started to reach out to more podcasters in order to amplify uh, my message personally and get out to a larger audience in general. But I've also even identified, you know, potential podcasts that I would have otherwise been, you know, literally afraid to approach because they may, I may have perceived them as too mainstream and their audience being too hostile, even if they're not like completely in the mainstream. Like, you know, we're talking, talking with, uh, you know, getting on uh, a CNN, you know, special, for example. I'm not, I'm not even talking about that, although I've started to entertain, you know, what would it take, what level of courage would I need to even, you know, even assuming that they would allow me to actually get onto, you know, a, literally like a, a mainstream, it's like 60 minutes CNN, even if, if that were even possible. But I'm talking more like the gray area between, you know, the echo chamber of talking to other, you know, people who also consider themselves great workers and truth seekers versus people who are maybe helping in general, but they're not necessarily in that camp. And they could be speaking to a very eclectic audience, including people that haven't even really considered a lot of these topics. So that's really the, the parting thought I wanted to leave is, you know, could you and others, you know, the person who's listening to this, could you as an activist, as a, as a truth seeker, as a great worker, what can you do to amplify and broaden your audience and be willing to even ask if you could be invited onto podcasts where there may be a, a potentially even slightly more hostile audience as a way to get that mm-hmm. message out. So that's kind of what I want to, that, that's the challenge. Yeah, totally. I mean, even if you go onto a podcast where the host is, you know, completely hostile towards you and actually kind of rude. And you know that most of his audience is probably going to agree with them. Even in that case, you know, there are going to be people in the audience who heard what you said. And as, as assuming you weren't a dick about it, you're likely going to, you know, maybe get someone who's going to come over and check out more of your videos or just kind of open up their mind a little bit to what you're saying. So I, I think that's a really good point. So thanks for adding that. Is there... If people awesome. want to check out your content, where should they go? Yep. So just go check out freedomvibe.art, freedomvibe.art. And I'm sure you'll have a link somewhere 
to the to the video or audio when you share the podcast. But that's where I post everything, and I post uh, at least as much content from other creators as I do my own content. So it's kind of a mix. So I'm always creating videos myself, uh, but I'm also sharing uh, content. I've shared some of your videos, Callan, and I'll continue to from other great creators. I try to curate what I consider to be the cutting edge of really helping people who who are activated or activating in this sphere. So it's a great place to get information. So freedomvibe.art, and then from there you can find you can find me under my name, David Greenberg, or freedomvibe.art on all the major social platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Odyssey, Float, all of them. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your work, and I actually really like your website. You, uh, it, I, I, it's hard to put a finger on it, but it just gives me a good feeling. You know, your whatever you did with how you chose your your UI, your your arrangements of things, and you even sometimes edit the thumbnails. Like if you share my videos, sometimes it's a a different thumbnail. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a cool thumbnail. So I think I really enjoy that other aspect of what you're doing, which is the creativity so thank you for everything that you do and uh thanks for coming on and i'm looking forward to talking to you again it's my pleasure Callan. it's been a really great conversation i appreciate it all right take care thanks for watching if you'd like to see more content like this head on over to moderndaywizards.org and if you're wondering how can you be a wizard well all you got to do is seek truth and share it